chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, one of those wonderful, rich, great, glorious passages that remind us of the glory of God's grace, His free grace, salvation apart from works. In this passage, Paul describes to us the conversion of the believer, and he's contrasting the believer's for life in sin and death with the believer's new life in Jesus Christ in grace, in the grace of God. And we can break this passage down into three parts, just very briefly, as we glance at this passage really this morning. In verse 1 through 3, he describes the believer's former life. In verse 4 through 6, he describes the change that took place in the believer's life when he was united with Christ. And in verse 7 through 10, he describes the purpose for this change, which is ultimately the glory of God's grace. The glory of God's grace. So let's take a look at these verses. In verse 1 through 3, he describes the believer's former life. The text tells us, Paul tells us in verse 1 through 3, that the believer's life was a state of death and sin, a state of subjection to corruption, and a state of condemnation. And you can see this in verse 1, verse 2, and verse 3. In verse 1, the believer's state was a state of death and sin. Look at what Paul says there in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now the thing that we need to understand about this verse is that it's an emphatic statement. It's actually part of the context. In some sense you need to understand what Paul has said in chapter 1 to get the full force of what he's saying here in verse 1. Because if you'll remember in chapter 1 Paul is describing all of the wonderful blessings that God has richly given to the people of God. All of the, the rich blessings of election and adoption and redemption in Christ Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit and the enlightening of the Holy Spirit who has given us eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ and the power of His resurrection which is for us and this wonderful plan that God is unfolding in salvation to make us, the people of God, the fullness of Christ, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. I mean, just wonderful, rich blessings that are described for us in chapter 1 and then Paul is breaking into that conversation here at verse 1 to say, And you, you who have received these blessings, you who have the Holy Spirit, you who are called the fullness of Christ, think about who you were. Think about who you were when God chose to do this for you. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You were in your sin. This highlights the marvelous grace of God, that God would act this way and do such wonderful good things for sinners. It's beautiful. Death means alienation from God. We were uh, alienated from God in sin. Life means union with God. We were in corruption, misery, and helplessness. And God brought us to life. We were dead in trespasses and sins. The apostle wants us to contemplate who we are outside of Christ. Corrupt in sin, miserable in sin, helpless in sin, unable to save ourselves, unable to please God. Or to be righteous. And this is because of sin. This is because of the sin that we're born into. Adam's sin. The guilt of Adam imputed to us. The corruption of Adam imparted to us. And we were sinners in Adam. The Bible teaches us this. This is a matter of faith. And but Paul goes on in verse 2 to speak about the fact that it isn't just that we were born in Adam. Born in sin. But we willingly followed sin. We were willing slaves to the corruption of sin. This is what he says in verse 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the sinful ways of this world. That idea of following there includes the idea of, of the will. You, you, you wanted to, you saw the ways of the world, you saw the sins of this world, and you ran after them, and you laid hold of them. Because there is sin in your heart, because you are a sinner. Because you were dead in sin. You followed the course of this world. You followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You followed disobedience. You were rebels, Paul is saying. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. You were slaves to your own flesh, to your own sinful desires is what he has in mind there. Whatever those desires might be. Greed or ambition or power, selfishness, sexual lust, whatever it might be. We were carried by these things. And so we followed the sins of the world. We followed the sins of Satan and the way of Satan. We did so willingly. We were not just sinful in Adam, but we were corrupt to the very core of our own being, personally accountable to God for our sins. And we were in a state of sin. And this is, this is the state that we're in when God showed us His grace. What marvelous grace it is. Our state was a state of condemnation. Look what he says at the end of verse 3. And you were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. You were born in Adam's sin. You were born into his condemnation, the curse that he had brought upon mankind by his sin. You were liable to punishment, condemnation, separation from the presence of God forever, torment, uh, punishment, anguish, sorrow because of sin. You were so by nature. From the very moment you were conceived, not because God made you sinful, but because your sinful nature began to manifest itself from the very beginning, from the earliest moments of your life, sin and corruption began to operate. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. But it was in this state that God's grace came to you. Verse 4 through 6, he describes the change that took place at conversion. God entered into your life wonderfully, sovereignly, to effect a beautiful change in your life. It was a spiritual resurrection. This is what Paul is describing in verse 4 through 6. You were dead in sin, but now you've been made to come to life. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That's the main idea that Paul is communicating here in verse 4 through 6. You've been made alive. You've been made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him as with Christ in the heavenly places. Beautiful passage. Spiritual resurrection to the spiritually dead. This spiritual resurrection is rooted in God's love. That's what we see in verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. The idea here is that it is according to God's character and the mystery of his personal love for you. Now, brothers, that's, that's wonderful to think about. But let's think about it. Let's unpack it a little bit. This work that God has done in spiritual resurrection is rooted in His character. It's rooted in His mercy. The Bible teaches us that God is merciful. To be merciful, the idea of being merciful is to do good to those who don't deserve it. And even more importantly, is to do good to those who have actually offended you. Who, who, who don't, they don't just don't deserve it. They've, they deserve not to be shown goodness. Does that make sense? I know I've said that pretty logically. But to be merciful is to do good to those who've wronged you. They deserve your wrath. They deserve for you to do bad things to them. And yet you choose to do good things to them. That's what mercy is. And the Bible tells us that God is merciful. He does good to those who don't deserve it. 
He does good. Romans chapter 5 is the best example of this. While we were still enemies, Christ died for us at the right time. When we had sinned and broken God's law and violated His covenant and His holiness, when we were unrighteous and corrupt and rebellious with no merit, no spiritual value, no moral value, God showed mercy to us. But God, being rich in mercy, this willingness to do good to those who wronged Him, Because of the great love with which he loved us. This spiritual resurrection is rooted in God's personal love. And really the mystery of his personal love. Love is not merely a a trait or an attribute of God. But love is part of the person of God. And we see this rooted in the Trinity. And the idea is it's a mystery. And the Bible communicates this to us. That God saved us because he loved us. And it's a wonderful thing. But it sort of blows our minds, I think, sometimes. Because here's, how we, here's the question. Here's the line of reasoning that we might have if we could articulate it. We might go to a pastor and we would ask the question, why did God save me? And the pastor's going to say, well, he saved you because he's, he's merciful. That's who he is. That's his character. Well, I know that God is merciful. I've read the Bible. But why would he show mercy to me? I understand that he might show mercy to others. But why would he show mercy to me? And the pastor's going to say to you, well, the Bible says that God loves those whom he saves. So the reason that he saved you, the reason he showed mercy to you is because he loves you. And then you're going to say, but then why does he love me? (laughs) And the answer to that question is going to begin to get to the bottom of the barrel of answers that we have available to answer with. God loves you because he chose to. Well, why did he choose to love you? Because he loves you. (laughs) It's just because what Paul is saying is that the very root of your spiritual life, the very root of your salvation is God's mercy and his love for you. It doesn't get any better than that or richer than that. It's, it's a free. It's not because of you. It's because of God. It's because of His mercy. It's because of His love. It's not for anything in you or anything that you've done or could do or ever will do, but because of God's mercy and because of His love. This is what Moses is trying to argue with the, the children of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy. He says, look, you're going to come out of the land. You're going to go into the promised land. You're going to ask the question, why did God bring us out of Egypt? Why did He choose us? To be above a precious possession to him above all the peoples of the earth. And Moses is going to say, you've got to be careful. Don't you dare answer that question with because you're more righteous than the other people on the face of the earth. That you're more righteous than anyone. It's not because of your righteousness that God delivered you from Egypt. Moses is very emphatic about this. He says the whole wilderness journeys has proven that you're not more righteous. You know that you're sinners. You know that you deserve his wrath. It's not because you're righteous. It's not because you're greater than any of the peoples on the face of the earth. There's no intrinsic value to you or quality. You're not genetically superior. There's no work that you can bring to God. But then how does Moses answer this question to the people of Israel? He says, the Lord is showing you mercy. He saved you because he loves you. Because he set his heart upon you. And he's keeping his promise to your fathers. And this is essentially what Paul is saying here. There's there's no deeper explanation than this. And God loves you. It's free and it's wonderful and it leads us to worship Him for His grace. And so this spiritual resurrection is rooted in God's mercy and love. It's worked out through union with Christ. That's what we see in verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, He made us alive together. He resurrected us with Christ. This is a big emphatic point for Paul in the book of Ephesians and especially in this verse. By grace you've been saved. It's not of yourself. He raised you, he's raised you up with Christ. You're with Christ. You're united to Christ. This spiritual resurrection comes to you only through Christ. 
There's no other way to God but through Christ. There's no other way through spiritual life except through Christ. You're in Christ. It's because you're united to Christ that you experience the life that God has given to Christ. And that Christ has because He's God. He's raised you up with Him. He's seated you with Him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. He's given us every spiritual blessing through union with Jesus Christ. And it's resulted in this wonderful and beautiful spiritual resurrection, this exaltation that you experience already and that you will experience uh, in, greater degrees to, uh, in, greater, in greater degrees in the life to come. Notice again how he speaks here in verse 6. It's all in the past tense. He made you alive with Christ. It's not he will make you alive. He has already done so in Christ if you're in Christ. He's raised you up. He has seated you with Christ. There's an already sense to all of this, an exaltation and a glory that's ours now. And it only grows and gets better in the world to come. But then this spiritual conversion takes place. Although we were dead, we've been raised with Christ through union with Christ. In verse 7 through 10, he describes the purpose of this change. The purpose of conversion was to show off the glory of God's grace to magnify the glory of God's grace. It's all for the glory of God's grace, for His praise and for His worship. The purpose was to show off the immensity and the freeness of His grace. You can see this in verse 7. So that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In the coming ages, that's in this world and the world to come, both now and forever, He shows and He puts on display and he magnifies and he demonstrates his grace, but he demonstrates the immeasurable riches of his grace, the immensity of his grace, the greatness of his grace, that he would take a dead sinner like you and me, or dead sinners like you and me, and raise us up, unite us to Christ, give us spiritual life. It's immense, it's immeasurable, the grace of God. It's wonderful in that sense, and we worship Him for it. The purpose was to show off the immensity. The purpose was to show off the sovereignty of it in verse 8 and 9. The sovereign freeness of this grace. Look at verse 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. He means there the faith. God has saved you, and even your salvation is not of you. Even the faith that you have, even your reception of this message of the grace of God in Christ Jesus is not something that you chose to do of yourself. It's not something that originated with you. It's something that started with God and originated with God. Even your desire to be saved is something that God planted in your heart. You were dead. You had no desire. You couldn't choose Christ. You were dead. God gave you life and now you have faith. Even the faith itself is this work of a sovereign God in your life. So that this verse 9 is not of works, not the least. Not even the faith is a work. But it is all the work of God. It's a sovereign work of God. So that no one may boast. So all of our boasting is in God is the idea there. He's not saying we absolutely don't boast. He's saying we don't boast in ourselves. We boast in God. We boast in His grace, His goodness, His righteousness. We boast in Jesus Christ. We boast in His life. We boast in his exaltation. No one boasts but in God. And so the purpose of this work of conversion is that we might give glory to God for his grace. Verse 10, God shows off the power of his grace. 
Because this grace has changed us. This conversion has affected powerfully a real change in our hearts so that we become like God. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were selfish. We were following our lust and our desires. But now we're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. What kind of good works? Well, the idea in general is gracious works. To show the same grace of God to one another. To show each other. To show sinners in our life. The people who wrong us and do us injustice. Mercy. And to do so because we love them. Why? Because God first loved us and our hearts are filled with His grace. Filled with His love. And they come pouring out in in the way that we treat one another. And we show God's mercy to one another in good works. And we show God's love to one another in good works. Through God's grace we become like God. We are His workmanship. We're sons of God. We're new creatures in Christ. We're molded by God to be like Him, conformed to the image of His grace. And so we live gracious lives. And we do so out of love. And so we love because the Father has loved us. And so there's this beautiful change that's taken place at conversion. We were dead. And God has made us alive for the glory of His grace, both now and forever.